You're listening to the Architecture Happy Hour. I'm Laura. And I'm Holly. And it's a two-drink minimum, so grab your glass and let's get started. Well, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We are so happy to be back with you today. It has been quite a year, Holly. How are you doing? Well, I've been surviving. Well, so Holly and I are recording remotely because, of course, it is February 2021. We survived the 2020 year. and um, But here we are. We're still working remotely, which Holly was already working from home. But now I get to work from home as well. So, you know, just a slight adjustment to our entire lives. <laughs> Everything has changed. I think that's an understatement. Yeah, I was trying to imagine where we would have been 15 years ago if this pandemic had hit. Oh, my gosh. And yes. we didn't have all the technology that we've got now. It would have just been a real crisis. At least a lot of us can stay connected. So Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, has, that has been just a huge thing. If we didn't have email and didn't have Zoom and didn't have all this stuff that we have now uh, with people in severe isolation, it would have just been nuts. So well, what other good things have come out of the pandemic for you? For our family, um, the kids have actually gotten to be better friends. Um, I noticed that they're playing together more. You know, they're certainly fighting more, but, but they're also <laughs> playing together. Um, and they're being more creative. So they're coming up with games to play in the garage when the weather's not good, or they're, um, you know, building huge Hot Wheels tracks all over the family room or building forts. And so it's really kind of nice to see them having these moments in their childhood that I'm that I know they'll remember for a long time. And um, the other thing is that we, of course, are now part of the statistics that we got a pandemic puppy or a COVID canine, as uh, some might say, but we welcomed a new dog uh, into our family. And so he's been a lot of fun and we're getting to know him. He was a rescue through a local rescue group. Well, good. And I know one of the things that you and I have done with our office, of course, uh, I don't know if we even said that uh, my name's Laura Davis and I'm an architect and this is Holly Hall, my partner in crime here, uh, both <laughs> architects. Um, and we have an office called HPD Architecture and Interiors in Dallas, Texas. And so one of the things that Holly and I have done is um, that we have made a point to offer virtual consulting to our clients. And so where typically we had the luxury of just going and meeting them at, our, at their homes, now we have enough technology in order to have a Zoom call or um, you know, FaceTime with them as they walk through their house. And so that's really helped us be able to stay in contact with our clients. Uh, because as you know, remodeling and designing, it's a very personal process and it's very complicated. There's a lot of details that have to be dealt with. So the more communication we can keep going, the better. And um, and I think we've, we've probably managed that as as well as we could. And I think it's worked out well in a lot of situations. Do you have any any examples of things that have gone well in that? Well, I think a lot of it has just been able to do Zoom calls. Uh, I know that you and I still go to people's houses to measure. 
right. uh, whenever we need to drop a floor plan, but we try and make those visits as brief as possible. Um, and then do what we call programming, you know, getting all the details and things uh, through Zoom calls. Uh, and so that has been really good to be able to talk to people and also be doing plan reviews over Zoom calls because we're able to pull up the plan and then walk through it with a client uh, while we're both looking at the same uh, virtual sheet of paper so that we can talk about details of design or what it is they do and do not like about uh, something that we've proposed doing. So it's it's been a very interesting process, but it, it also makes it so that we can very easily communicate with clients who are a long distance away. So yeah, I've been able to to do a share, you know, share screen and pull floor plans up and make changes during the conversation. And the clients have really enjoyed seeing the process. I think it kind of pulls the veil back over, yeah. you know, from what we do. And um, so, yeah, I think it just makes it more transparent and, and it helps, you know, all things considered. So we certainly look forward to meeting our clients and hanging out with them in, in person. But until then, uh, this seems to be working okay. <laughs> so on a previous podcast, we talked about uh, what sort of changes the coronavirus was going to affect as far as home design goes, because we know we have all had to make adjustments with uh, working from home and, you know, not just the physical changes of working from home and school from home, but also is supporting each other emotionally. You know, you, there's only so much time you can spend together. So being able to have quality separate spaces also is important. And so as we looked at these different things that that might change or inform home design in the future, um, you know, another recent event has been severe weather in Texas. And I know um, my sister who lives in Colorado kept texting me every morning last week saying, are you guys okay? This, this storm in Texas is all over the news. And she was freaking out. <laughs> I'm like, okay, we're, we're okay. We're managing, but yeah. So that's something that Holly and I want to talk about today because we have been through the ringer this past week with this severe weather and our entire state of Texas was just blasted. I mean, really the half of the country, I think got it. Um, but specifically here in Texas, because we're on an, an entire electric grid <laughs> that seemed to bring us to our knees. Um, we are very close to what could have been major catastrophic uh, events. Well, for a lot of people, it was catastrophic. Yeah, I and think I, you're right. I think another thing is that Texans aren't used to really cold weather like you get in Minnesota and Colorado and Nebraska. And even in you know some parts of Oklahoma, we get snow maybe once every two or three years. So if it gets below freezing for more than a day, we start running around screaming blue meanies because <laughs> we just don't have the infrastructure to deal with it. The sand piles for the roads are only so big. Nobody has a snow shovel. Nobody <laughs> has a sled. My son was no. sending his his little two-year-old down the hill in their front yard 
in a radio flyer wagon that they'd taken the wheels off of. <laughs> I love it. That's we improvise here in Texas. <laughs> right. Exactly. We are a strong folk, but we are not prepared for the winters of the north. This blast of cold weather that we're going to talk about some of the issues that we had, it really brought to light some of the things around home design that we can actually plan ahead for to help maybe lessen the impact of some of these severe weather events. Uh, because this went on for a week, I think at least, where we had anywhere from negative four degree temperatures and days and multiple snowstorms. And so it was something I'd never experienced here. And a lot of people got had a lot of damage. It's going to be it's going to take months um, to get people's houses put back together. So we want to talk today about, first of all, what can go wrong in extreme temperatures if your house is not set up to deal with those. Uh, and then next, we want to look at what can you do to your current home to protect it. And then if you are in the situation where you might be designing a new home or planning a remodel, what sort of things can you include in the plan that is going to help you uh, manage something like this in the future? Because we all know this is not the last major snowstorm that we'll see here. So if we can prep for it now, we'll be in a lot better shape later. Uh, and all you people who are listeners who may be in colder climates are probably laughing at us right now. <laughs> yes. But that's okay. That's okay. We're talking to people who are living in in temperate, very temperate climates who aren't used to the cold <laughs> that you're yes. living in. Yes, exactly. And it can swing the other way. I mean, we've had brownouts and blackouts in the electricity in the middle of July and August when we've had over 100 degree temperatures for what, 20 or 30 days in a row. Right. And then that is putting a strain on the electric grid as well. So uh, yeah, it's kind of extremes in both directions. But for today, we're going to talk about this most recent cold snap that we had, uh, the Arctic blast and the, what did they call it? The snowmageddon. Snowmageddon, yes. Yeah, I think we had like five inches of snow in our backyard, which was, you know, our which dogs is, enjoyed. But... That's really unheard of. And it snowed twice in one week. Right, exactly. It Without snow. And then we thought, oh, it's going to melt. And it didn't. And then all of a sudden we had another three inches of snow. Right. And that's unheard of. Yeah. And some places got freezing rain, which then, of course, just glazes everything and makes it extremely dangerous to get out on the roads or to even try to walk to your mailbox. Yeah, so some of the issues that we experienced here, and you may have heard about them on the news, um, the big issue was electricity, that our electric grid, not to get into too much detail, but essentially our, almost our entire state, uh, for whatever reason, is all on one electric grid. So when we have problems, we all have problems. So all the way down to Houston and South Texas, where you would think that they shouldn't be having issues. They were having snow and ice as well. And so we were all dealing with rolling blackouts where uh, we had to reduce the load on the grid so that it didn't collapse completely. With the rolling blackouts, it, was, it wasn't really a rolling blackout because a rolling <laughs> blackout, you would have electricity go off for a little while and then come back on and then off for a little while and come back on. 
And there were a lot of people that experienced that, but other people just experienced complete electricity shutoff that lasted for days. For days. Yeah, you know, for two or three days. days with no yeah. electricity. And then the water issue uh, was twofold. One, it was all of the pipes that froze and then broke, and then you had water spewing everywhere. Or the water utilities actually lost power, and so they lost the ability to purify the water and also to pump the water. So there was no water pressure, or if you did have water, it was you had a boil order so that you had to boil your water. But if you had no power in your house, and you had an electric range, then you couldn't boil water. So essentially, even if you had water running out of your faucet, you couldn't use it because you were supposed to boil it because it wasn't safe to use. So, you know, the plumbing and the electricity made, you know, it was really tough to deal with. Uh, and Laura kind of lucked out because her cooking was She's got a gas stovetop, so she was able to keep cooking through the whole storm. And uh, I don't think that you had a, you didn't have a boil situation in Richardson, did you? No, we didn't. No, yeah. we, we were lucky. They told us to start conserving because they were afraid of, of some issues, but we never got to that point. Yeah, here in Dallas... Uh, we were having some water main breaks in some older portions of the city. And my son called me up one day and said, Mom, go fill up your bathtub because you may have to use it to flush your toilets. And uh, But I'd already been having to haul water to keep my toilets flush because the only pipe that froze in my house was the one in the exterior wall that my toilet backs up to. So early on, I guess it was the second day of the freeze, of the deep freeze, I had to take off the tank lid of my toilet, and I just permanently left it off. And then I was hauling water from the lavatory or the bathtub and using it to fill up the toilet tank so it was ready to flush the next time. So that was, you know, five or six trips across the bathroom with pitchers of water to fill up that tank. And that seemed to work, but when my son called and said, hey, mom, you know, if we have a, a pipe break, a water main break, then you, know, you won't even have that. So I immediately completely filled up the bathtub with water. And then I got a whole bunch of pots and filled them with water. So at least I had some, some water for cooking or whatever if I needed it in case we had a water main break. The other issue that we had here is that once we have any type of winter weather with any moisture in it at all, ice or snow, then there's no driving, really, because we don't have snow plows. We don't have anything except for some trucks that distribute sand. And during the worst of it, they were just sanding one lane on the freeways. And so you'd see these images of uh, the freeways from the cameras that they've got alongside the freeways. And there would just be a single lane going down the middle of a five or six lane wide freeway. So all the cars were following on that one lane because that was the only thing that was open. 
So if you don't have to drive, you don't have to get in your car during one of these events, you don't. You just stay home because the minute you go anywhere, you're going to start spinning around. Yeah, we even have a four-wheel drive car. We have a Subaru and it normally would handle fine if we had snow tires on it. Uh, but the problem is, is if it's got ice underneath that snow, then it doesn't matter how much four-wheel drive you have. It's not going to stop you. So yeah, we pretty much just parked it for the week and tried to not have to go anywhere. Yeah, and we've gotten so used in the pandemic to having groceries delivered and nobody could deliver groceries. And then a lot of grocery stores got completely picked clean and they couldn't get deliveries because trucks weren't moving around. So their stores weren't being restocked, so they had nothing on their shelves to sell. So it was just a complete breakdown of everything. Yeah, we've gotten really, really used to ordering food and having it delivered from, you know, local restaurants. And even that completely shut down, of course, because like you said, the delivery drivers couldn't get out. And then the restaurants weren't even opening because their employees couldn't get there and then they didn't have any food to serve because the trucks couldn't get there. So yeah, there was a lot of unexpected uh, fallout from just what would normally, you know, people up North would go, Oh, that's like our first day of snow in October. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we don't lose the use of everything for more than a week just for that. But yeah, we certainly were not ready for it. So what can we do to our homes to help, us take care of ourselves during events like this. Well, if you have an opportunity when you're working on remodeling or designing a home, if you can increase your pantry space so that you have a place to put things that don't have to be refrigerated, uh, that you can use for cooking or uh, storage of items that don't perish so that you don't have to worry about getting to the grocery store for four or five days at a time. Uh, Another thing that is probably something that we don't think about very much here in the Southern climates, that is uh, something that I learned that they do up in Minnesota when I was growing up, is that you don't put piping on exterior walls. Plumbing piping is always on interior walls. And that's something that I think we need to really pay attention to as architects and designers is to try and keep all of that plumbing on interior walls. Because like I was saying, the only pipes that froze in my house uh, are the ones that were on exterior walls. All the rest of my water kept on running through the whole mess. Yeah, we kept faucets and, uh, you know, well, mostly faucets dripping as much as we could. And we have two faucets, our kitchen and master bath are both on exterior walls, uh, as well as, of course, hose bib uh, faucets out on the outside. My sister, at one point, she lives in Colorado, and she used to live in New York. And at one point, she texted me and said, have you put light bulbs under your sinks yet? And I thought she was pulling my leg. I'm like, seriously, is that a thing? What are you talking about? (laughs) And she goes, no, for real. That's what we used to do in New York when it would get really bad is we would put, I guess, a heat lamp or light bulb or something under the sink just to keep it warm enough 
so those pipes wouldn't freeze. I thought, okay, that's a new one. I hadn't heard that. So uh, yeah, so it made me think, oh, I need to tell Holly about this because maybe we should start putting an electric outlet underneath all our sinks <laughs> for, uh, you know, just for that purpose of plugging in our, uh, a little heat light bulb or something. But yeah, it, it was pretty wild. We had, um, fortunately we didn't have any pipes freeze, but we were very diligent about, uh, keeping our cabinet doors open under our sinks and flushing our toilets regularly so that those lines didn't freeze up. Uh, but yeah, it's, the plumbing was a major issue and we've had we quite a few friends who have now had major flood damage um, to the point where they've had to move out and they are having to replace floors and cabinets in their kitchens and their ceilings have fallen in. And, you know, it's just the power of water damage is incredible. So it's definitely something if you can plan for um, protecting those pipes, that's huge. Also, if you're designing a new home, there is a new way of insulating a home that could really help in the future. And that is using the whole house as an envelope, where instead of your insulation going just above the ceiling so that you have a cold attic, you actually insulate up at the roof level so that your attic space is insulated totally and sort of becomes part of the warmer portion of your house or cooler portion of your house in the summertime. So it makes it so that your house is much more efficient. And if you've got piping that's running through your attic, and a lot of people do, then that piping is within the warmer or cooler envelope of your house, depending upon the season that you're looking at so that it makes your house much more efficient and it would also make it so you wouldn't have pipes in your attic that are freezing and causing waterfalls. Yeah, in fact, I was following a story on Nextdoor, uh, which is you know a website that connects you with your neighbors. And so there was a lady there, they had lost power um, lost heat and they had little kids and I think she was pregnant. So they ended up taking the entire family and going and staying at her parents' house um, so that because they had heat and, and uh, electricity. And she posted on the next door site, she said, um, can anybody think of a reason why uh, I can't connect with my Wi-Fi thermostat? You know, they had one of those, you know, smart home type thermostats. And she said, I can't connect to it, which makes me think that maybe our uh, internet is not working because it ran on the Wi-Fi. And so she could connect to it from her phone. And she said, I am wondering if anybody else in the neighborhood is having Wi-Fi issues or, you know, internet. And she said, if anybody's in the area, would you mind driving by my house? Because I'm just panicking that uh, something bigger has happened. And that's why we don't have, you know, Wi-Fi that our router's messed up. And sure enough, somebody drove by her house and reported back and said, um, there is water flowing out of underneath your garage door oh. down your driveway. Oh. And sure enough, one of their pipes in their attic had burst and their whole house was flooded. And, um, you know, obviously more than just their internet was messed up, but that was her first clue that something was not quite right because they had left and didn't know. Gee. 
yeah, at the attic pipes. That's, you know, just one of quite a few stories of attic pipes that had problems. If you've got pipes that are in your attic and you don't have an opportunity to do a full, full attic insulation and closure up at the roof level, then it's a good thing to get your pipes checked out in your attic and make sure that they are insulated. You'd be surprised how many people have uninsulated pipes running around their attics. The best thing to do is to wrap them with the thickest Armaflex that you can get. And Armaflex is a neoprene, it's a black neoprene insulation that's really efficient. The tough thing to do is the way that they install it is it's a, a split a round insulation that you just sort of open up like a clamshell and then close back around the pipe and then you tape it in place and tape the joints. But one of the things I have found is that the plumbers doing the insulating a lot of times will take shortcuts and especially at joints rather than taking the time to fit the insulation nicely around a joint, will sort of butt the insulation up against each other and then wrap it with tape. And really what you've got is you've got air between the pipe and the tape because they don't really get the insulation sections butted up against each other tightly. So you really have to double check and make sure that the job is done right. Because any place where the pipes aren't insulated is a place where they're going to freeze. And a little ice plug is just as a effective as a big ice plug and making your pipes pop. So you've really got to be careful with that. But, uh, you know, other than insulating in an existing house, that's, that's about the extent of what you can do. In a new house, it's always good to have extra insulation in the walls. And now typically in our climate, in order to achieve the amount of insulation that you have to have in a wall, we have to have a minimum of two by six framing for the exterior walls. If you can afford to go thicker than that and use a two by eight, that's even better because you can get even more insulation. But what we typically like to use is to, before any of the electrical or plumbing or anything else is run, is do two inches of spray foam on the exterior portion of that two by four or excuse me two by six or two by eight wall so that you've got sort of an insulation shield and then you run all your electrical or plumbing on the inside face of that and then use that insulation for the rest of it so that if you ever do have a leak it's easy to repair it's much harder to repair if the pipes and the wires are embedded in foam because then you're having to cut the foam out so if If you can remove the bad insulation, if it's gotten wet, then it's easier to replace than foam insulation that has gotten soaked like a sponge. So using that sort of hybrid type of insulation is is a much better way to go. And it keeps your house secure and easy to repair. Other things that you can do if you're designing a new home or retrofitting or remodeling an older home is with electricity. Uh, Solar panels are now getting to be much more affordable and the systems are almost easier to install now than they 
used to be because you can buy the different pieces that you need in modules and sort of build your system because you've got your special panel that can hook into it and the battery backups have gotten much more efficient so that you can buy uh, instead of having a rack that you put a bunch of batteries on which was the old way to do it you can buy these units that you just sort of stand in your garage that act as your battery for backup and the other thing that you can do is get a home generator there are some very efficient smaller generators that you can use to power your home and they're not that big you do have to be able to hook them up to either propane or to natural gas but there's something that just kicks on automatically if your electricity goes off and if you've got them hooked up to natural gas then they can power you all the way through an emergency like we've had this past week so that could be something that you can use to sort of uh, weatherproof your home yeah one of the things i think that the um, you know when we'd watch the news they would warn us about uh, was that when the power kicks back on that there's a there can be a big surge of electricity and so people were getting through the snow uh, storm okay and you know generally no leaks and things like that but what they found is that some of their electronics were fried and or their furnace went out because of the huge uh, you know load right at the beginning when that electricity kicks back on. So what they've uh, what they were telling us was to unplug uh, if you've got sensitive electronics that are going to be expensive to replace, just unplug them, take them offline so that when that surge comes through, they're protected. And then also turn off your thermostat uh, so that when the electricity kicks back on, that you can give it a few minutes for that uh, to level off and then turn your your uh, heat back on because that initial surge where everything turns back on your refrigerator and you know all of your computers and everything turns back course you know and lights and all that when uh, when the electricity goes off and <laughs> you can't remember which lights you left on <laughs> that was always our problem um, you know try to reduce how much load is on that when it first um, turns back on so uh, another thing too is to, if you are able to, is to put in a whole home surge protector, uh, which just buffers that whole situation when the electricity enters your home from the beginning. So that's another way to protect uh, all these sensitive electronics that we have, because obviously we're we're all hooked into all sorts of things, which makes us reliant on on all of our charging cables and you know all of those things. Another thing you could do if you're building a new home is, well, there are two things with the plumbing. One is that have a readily available water cutoff for all the water coming into your house. Because there's usually one water line that goes from your water meter into your house. And if where it comes into your house, you can have it come into a place, say, in a closet or you know, maybe it's your front coat closet if your water service is in the front of the house or if it's in the back of the house maybe it's in the garage or a utility room but have a main water cutoff so that instead of having to try to figure out how to go out to your meter in the front yard and find a meter key 
or a screwdriver or something to get the lid off of the meter and then you find that the valve is buried under some dirt or something in your water meter box because you haven't been in there forever. It's a simple matter to go to that one valve that's in the wall in your house and just shut it off. And that shuts off all the water that's running everywhere in your house. And another thing that's kind of neat to have that a couple of my clients have in larger homes is a, we call it a manifold but that's just a fancy name for saying it's almost like a Christmas tree of valves where you've got your main water shut off and then you it's the pipe splits into multiple pipes that go to the different parts of your house. Say you've got one pipe that feeds all the water for your master bathroom or one pipe that feeds your kitchen and your, and your laundry room. So that if you have a leak in that part of the house, you just go to where you've got all your main shutoff valves and you can shut off the valve that just turns off your kitchen and your laundry room or it just shuts off your master bathroom or it just shuts off all of the exterior water faucets, which we call hose bibs, but everybody else calls them water faucets. Um, and so you can isolate just part of a leak in your house without it shutting off all of your water. And that's a good thing just for standard practice to have that, even if you're not dealing with weather extremes. It just helps if you're having any plumbing repairs at all done in your house. So that's, that's a good thing to do. And, you know, the pipes are splitting off from each other someplace anyway. So you might as well spend just a little bit more money to have the split happen in a place where you can control it. And the thing is that you have to do this really in two places, just where you have the cold water and then where the water's coming out of your water heater. Because all the hot water is coming out of the water heater and the cold water is coming out of just your regular piping. So if you can do a manifold situation right near your water heater also, so that shutting off the hot water to one or another portions of your house, that's always a good thing to do. Well, the bright side to this week of frigid cold that we had was that not even a few days later, we were back up in the 70s. So, you know, go figure, that's Texas weather for you. Uh, I literally was wearing flip-flops a few days ago and, you know, pulled the capri pants out because it was too warm to walk down to the school to get my kids. And, you know, it just was crazy. You know, it smelt, snow melted and immediately we were back up in the 70s. So I guess there's a silver lining, maybe. Yeah, that reminds <laughs> me of one time when I was up in Colorado in the springtime and I went up on the ski slopes and there were people skiing in the snow in shorts. Yeah. And I thought, this is weird, but it was very appropriate <laughs> because even though there was still lots and lots and lots of snow on the ground uh, and it was starting to get sort of icy because the top was getting slick because it was melting, but the air was just really warm and it was very pleasant. And so just that the minute it warmed up here, all of a sudden we didn't have any snow or ice or anything anywhere. It was just like overnight, all of it went away. It was, it was really amazing. 
Yes. So we fortunately don't still have snow uh, like my parents in Utah and my sister in Colorado. Uh, but the remnants of what we dealt with last week are still with us. So that has all of us making plans and adjustments and preparations for next time. And hopefully this has given you some tips and some ideas to think about so that if you're planning a repair or an improvement in the future, that you can make a few of these adjustments and it'll save you a headache down the road. So um, I think that's about it, Holly. Anything else? I think that's about it for this time. Okay. And we'll get with it with our podcasting. <laughs> yeah, we're looking forward to adding more episodes to our home design series. So uh, if you have any topics that are of particular interest to you, please drop us a line and let us know. You can find the show notes for this episode on our website, which is hpdarch.com. And uh, of course, you can always get in touch with us through our social media, Facebook and Instagram and, uh, you know, all that good stuff. So please reach out and let us know what you want to hear about. And we will be sure to stay in touch on our end. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.